evening, everyone. Good evening. Okay. Go ahead and turn to Jonah chapter 1 again. So I think we're finally finishing chapter 1, five, five weeks. So it means there's 20 weeks in this, right? Not quite. There's only four chapters or chapters, but I think it will start picking up a little bit um, as we go along here. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, go sit in your chair. Mom will be right back. Jonah chapter 1. We're on lesson 5 here, and the title of the lesson tonight is a chastisement revival. Might be kind of a interesting interesting title. Get to see a little bit of what kind of the purpose of that and uh, everything this evening. Um, but it's interesting, though, when you trace the history of revivals, you can often find that they sometimes often start as a result of, like, a crisis. And perhaps the death of a prominent person, financial crash, you no know, natural disaster such as that, you no know, often can cause people to turn back or turn to you know, the Lord. Um, now, human nature is what it is, and often while we might sleep through the sermon... We are wakened by the siren, right? Um, thinking of chastisement, no, it's it's not pleasant. No, but it can bring, but its goal is to bring about God's desired results in our lives. Second um, Corinthians seven nine to ten says, "Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance." For you were made sorry, sorry after a godly manner. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. And that's the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. So kind of some objectives we're kind of looking at this evening. Um, you know, to kind of show that sometimes it's chastisement that God uses to get our attention in our lives. That's number one. And then number two, to help us understand that his goal in that is always restoration. It's not just punitive. It's not just punishment. And also then third, to kind of challenge us to make serious lifelong vows to the Lord. And when we carry those out, it'll bring God's blessing and his power in our lives. Think about salvation. That really is kind of a vow, a long life long, isn't it? It's really giving your life to him in that. So a chastisement revival. We're going to read uh, Jonah chapter 1, and then verses 11 to 16. So I'll start in uh, verse 11. I'll go around and finish that. It says, Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea was wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, done as it pleaseth thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. 
Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now when we read this account here in Jonah, you, you might get the impression that the mariners, they've been going to church their whole lives, right? <laughs> By what they said and everything here. But obviously that, that wasn't the case. Um, but for them, perhaps for the first time, they got to see the power of God, you know? And they realized they were in a pretty serious condition in their lives. Um, kind of going back to what we talked about the, the intro, no, revival can often start as a result of a trial. Um, Jonathan Edwards pointed to the death of a prominent woman as the beginning of God's mighty work during the First Great Awakening, which is interesting. Um, says the famous prayer meeting revival of the middle 1800s was spurred in part by the financial crisis of the hour. The great missionary endeavor of William Carey gained support following a fire that destroyed the printing press and much of his early translation work. The truth is, no, people get saved at funerals, hospital waiting rooms, fox, foxholes on battlefields, you know that? But it's it, very true, isn't it, that we often pray harder and longer when we're down <laughs> to our last dollar or when our kids are sick, you know? So jumping into uh, the first point here, the, um, all the main points, the blanks that you're looking for, they all start with an S. There's some uh, interesting ones, tougher ones tonight in a way. So this starts with an S, a something reverence. That's soul felt. It's close. Kind of think of the situation that they're in. Not sovereign. It's close. Has the idea of serious. Sobered. Yep. A sobered reverence. A sobered reverence. You know, by the time you get to verse 16 now there, the demeanor of those guys on board is very drastically changed. It says, then they feared the Lord exceedingly. So what brought about that? Humility and hunger for the Lord. So looking back, you can, there's some conclusions we can come to about their sudden interest in spiritual things. Subpoint A here is a fearful something, and these two, both these subpoints start with a C. And a confession has the idea of something you're seeing back and forth in verses 9 to 11, a fearful conversation. That's correct. Now, verses 9 to 11 record a very interesting conversation between Jonah and then these mariners here. Um, it says, and he said unto them, verse, uh, verse 9, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, why hast thou done this? Remember, we looked at that last week. They're <laughs> kind of like, what are you doing? Because he told them, right? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. Now, they probably were getting to the realization that this wasn't an ordinary storm that they kind of were in. They're now fully aware that they're in the middle of God's judgment in a very flimsy boat. The truth is, we're not safe in a submarine when God's at the control of the storm on that. 
The thief on the cross no recognized that trouble he was in. Remember with his partner in crime on the other side of Jesus there. When they're, um, of course, both of them, it seems, were joining in on all the mocking, you know, at the beginning and stuff like that. But then his tune changed, didn't it? The one did. Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. You know, often when we sin, we fear getting caught or paying the consequences of it. But, you know, in Matthew 10, 28, that's the, the verse in there. Someone, whoever's next, can read that. It informs us we really have more to fear than getting caught. Matthew 10, 28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Jonah would have done very well to remember the words of Joshua, back in Joshua 24, 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. So on the sub point B here, we have a, a fearful conversation and now we have a fatal a condemnation uh, consequence, I'll start it up here, a fatal, fatal conclusion. I tell you, the author of this book is really good at alliteration, <laughs> some of these ones that he comes up with. A fatal conclusion. Jonah knew that the only hope these men had of saving their lives was to take his. Uh, Jonah one twelve, and he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. No one ever plans on sin coming to such a tragic end, does it? do they? You know, no one plans at the wedding altar for their marriage to end in divorce. No one holds their uh, infant child planning on him running away from home. No one who takes a first drink plans on killing someone as a drunk driver on a lonely highway someday. Nor does anyone who takes a few steps away from God's will plan on being responsible for someone else's life, which Jonah was, <laughs> think about this point. He was responsible for a whole boat full, a, bo- a whole boatload of them. Not that. Ezekiel 18.20, whoever has the, the next one on that. And sat thee on my bed, and the soul trapped him on my blood. And Galatians 6, 7 to 8. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth in his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. In 1 John 5.16. There is a sin unto death. So there's, we see a sobered reverence is kind of the main point here. And there was a fearful conversation, of course, between Jonah and the mariners. And then Jonah came to a fatal conclusion. So then point two here, a something reconciliation that starts with an S. Not a saving. It's a, a bit of a longer word. Is something 
reconciliation has something to do with something these guys are going to do. A sacrificial, that is correct. A sacrificial reconciliation. So in verse 16, we see the man offering up a sacrifice. Now, when they had left the port, whether maybe a few hours, a few days, of course, it, it doesn't really say. Um, doesn't really say when it was. I'm sure they weren't planning on conducting chapel on the waves or chapel on their boat here. So subpoint A, we have the effort of, both of these start with an M. They're somewhat shorter words. The effort of man. Now, these men had no doubt been in storms before. Think of the disciples, remember, and their, uh, in the New Testament on that. Of course, they were seasoned fishermen. They knew what to do. They'd been in storms before. So these guys, I'm sure, were the same because there was a typical routine that they followed, and you can see it um, here. Their emergency plan, you can see it in verse 13. Um, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land. I think they even uh, cast uh, everything out of the ship. You see back in verse 5 to lighten it there. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous. They had already appealed back to their gods back in verse 5, of course, and dumped everything out. Um, You know, God, as it is here, is often man's last resort, isn't he? That's how that normally works. We try everything we can to to get rid of our sin, but to no avail. We try, this is interesting, thinking about these here. We try religion, their gods, reformation, casting forth their wares, good works, rowing hard, but nothing atones for sin until we go to God. Kind of an interesting analogy, thinking about that in this situation here. Romans 3, 27 and 28. When, where in boasting then it is excluded, by what law of works, nay, but by the law of faith? Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. In Ephesians, we can see now that man's best effort cannot save him. Ephesians 2, um, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, just like the unsaved, God's people also can't get through storms, the storms of life on their own. Second um, Corinthians 3, 5 says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. John 15, 5 also says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Now, God didn't say we are or could do something or we could do a little bit without him. He said, you're nothing without me. That's really good for the self-esteem, isn't it? (laughs) But if you think about it, we'd rather have our sufficiency of him or us on that. So subpoint B, got the effort of man. Then B, the elusiveness of, it starts with an M, 
That's mode. So I'm looking to see if the words in the text. I don't. I don't think the word. I don't think the actual word is in the text there. Here, I'll start it going here. It's a shorter word. You'll get it. I think as soon as it starts popping up. The elusiveness of mercy. Now, upon reaching the conclusion that they could do nothing, we see the mariners note casting themselves at the mercy of God. See that in verse 14. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O God, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. It's interesting, again, thinking of them, they didn't really want to go this route, did they? That was the prescribed way, in the, of course, in this situation. Um, but thinking about it, in, like this, no, but God's mercy doesn't come on our terms. God doesn't negotiate His grace. Because there's only one way to heaven. And of course, that's through Christ. John 14, 6 says. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The formula for revival is simple and straightforward. 2 Corinthians 7, 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7 is applicable to all. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. I think it is really interesting just the analogies that you can that are pulled out of here, and specifically thinking like about salvation and everything. And it's nothing of what we can do, our best efforts are, are nothing. And then it's only by coming to God His way, on His terms, can, um, it, the situ can the sin be taken care of. So now moving on to the last point here, uh, point three, we have a sobered reverence. We have a sacrificial reconciliation, and then a blank resolve. This is a longer-ish word. That's solemn. Kind of think in the sense of what we were just talking about. Um, not serious. Supernatural. <laughs> not supernatural. In the sense of thinking of these, of these mariners and everything, we, what we just talked about. They tried everything. It's not working. So on God's mercy wasn't coming on their terms. It was coming on God's. So to that, it was a something resolve. That's sovereign. I'll start it up here. A surrendered, a surrendered resolve. Now in verse 16, we read that these men, in the middle of a storm, made vows. The God who's told no in church is often told yes in a crisis. Subpoint A, both of these start with an M. We have 
a serious M. M is in Mike. Uh. First with an M. Think of a something of silence. Sometimes they'll have these at public events. It's the moment. That's correct. A serious moment. You can kind of see it, kind of the climax that in verse 15. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from rage. I mean, I don't know. That would have been so amazing. Like, was it, almost, was it literally like that? You know? Can you imagine the reaction <laughs> to them at that point? Um, taking the life of another is a serious crime. Genesis 9-6. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. These men realized that if they were mistaking God's command here, they would be guilty of murder. That they were very hesitant. Because um, it's interesting. Um, when they're in that conversation with Jonah, I know back in verse 9 and 10, when he's telling them you know, who he was, they're like, you know, why, why are you doing that? Um, then they say, what, are we, what should we do? In verse 12, he says, take me and cast me into the sea. It's after that, they're trying their hardest to avoid that. See that in verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land. Like they probably were given their absolute 100%, probably at that point, to avoid doing that. But then when they realized that that wasn't going to cut it, that's what they were in verse 14, where they're like, God, we're, don't lay this to our charge. You know, we, like Basically, you've done as, this is what you want, you've done as it pleased, and then they cast them forth. And it's interesting that it stopped. You know, the Christian life isn't a game. Walking an aisle and making decisions is a very important matter. Um, Ecclesiastes 5, 4 to 5. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. No decisions must be based on God's word, and then once those decisions are made, they're to be kept. Second uh, Peter 2.21. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. So on to subpoint B, our last point here. A supernatural, and it starts with an M. We had a serious moment. Now this is kind of the, the climax of that, and that is correct. A supernatural Miracle. It's kind of interesting, though, when you, you read certain things in the Bible, but if you really stop and think about and kind of put yourself in a situation, it's really interesting to think about. I mean, do you suppose that these guys watched as they threw Jonah over? <laughs> Did they all like lean over the railing, like watching them? I don't know. Uh, I mean, it doesn't say like did Jonah just like sink like a rock. Is he just swimming? You know, it doesn't say on that. 
and it, and it doesn't say like like with the with the storm like did it literally stop like that like you think of Christ no peace be still did it stop right there it pro I wouldn't be surprised if it did you know no perhaps they hoped he was a good swimmer <laughs> and no he could survive until God no appeased the storm and on the other hand no they no doubt had seen men go overboard before only to quickly drown in, under the waves of the sea, like in a storm like that. Maybe it didn't stop until Jonah was swallowed. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't really say. Um, verse 17 says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Here's an analogy everybody here will appreciate. Or not really an analogy, kind of a thinking about it. It says, You ever been to a place like SeaWorld? where you're sitting patiently on some metal seats, chatting with your friends, waiting for the aquatic show to begin, when all of a sudden out of the water jumps this giant killer whale. Now the sight of that monstrous mammal and then the, that thunderous splash of seawater that follows is impressive, to say the least. That's the picture that comes to mind, the author here, as I read this passage. If these men didn't believe that God was behind the storm, they had to believe that God was controlling that whale. So it's interesting. Did they literally see it happen? Again, is Jonah there? And then he's not <laughs> all of a sudden. Um, and it doesn't say, did like, of course, like in the kids' books, you see him like, like sinking down or whatever. Um, it doesn't say. But it just kind of imagining yourself to thinking about that. That probably an effect that would have had on those guys. Of course, no, Jonah's telling them, throw me over. Maybe the storm stops and then the whale, or perhaps the whale swallows them and then the storm stops. I don't know. Which would have been more powerful? Maybe the latter. But what's the reaction <laughs> we see here? No wonder in verse 16, then that men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. What did they sacrifice? I don't know. It doesn't say. But it says they feared the Lord exceedingly. It's interesting. Just thought about this. Now, their reaction there, what was the disciples' reaction in the Gospels? when Christ stood up and said, peace be still. They feared exceedingly too, didn't they? And so it says, like, what manner of man is this on that? But do we really have to wait for a storm and a fish to obey God? Not that in our life. Romans 2.4. For no, it may not seem as critical, but it surely is easier to make decisions for God on dry land versus wet motion, isn't it? So we see kind of, again, kind of just recapping a little bit, a chastisement revival. We saw a... Um, Yet there was a sobered reverence that we see. Um, again, specifically thinking about the men on board, there was a fearful conversation that took place. They came to, a, well, they and Jonah came to a, a fatal conclusion. 
there was a sacrificial reconciliation that was made. We also saw that the effort of man was pointless. It was useless here. That goes right along with the elusiveness of mercy that could be obtained on man's efforts. It wasn't there. And then that led to a surrendered resolve to um, they decided to take God's way. You know, they could have decided, nope, we're not going to do it. Then they might have all gone. Who knows? But there was a very serious moment when, of course, when they threw Jonah over. And then they witnessed a supernatural miracle on that. Because it's kind of easy to think about, we think of Jonah in this, but kind of think about them and the whole situation there. It obviously was something that made a very serious impact on them. They had quite a fish story to tell. <laughs> to their, uh, um, everybody else that they met on that. Um, so kind of an interesting lesson. Anything stand out? Stand out particularly to anybody here? Any comments or anything interesting? Anything interesting to anybody? The thought of the throwing the wares and the rowing and all the works of man was kind this of top eight. Really good analogy with <laughs> yeah. it. Anything else? Anybody? But even like smaller things, just you know, if you know you're not doing the right thing or whatever, but like, oh, this is my business, you know, then it actually can affect other people in the family. It's not serious that can't be not taking care of sin when you know you're doing wrong. Interesting thinking of that, what we were just talking about right before that, no. Those guys, they could have declined God's way. And Jonah never would have went to Nineveh, probably. Again, thinking of the whole idea of no, what you do doesn't affect other people kind of thing. It, and it's, it would be kind of like a chain reaction of Jonah and them, them, and them. Or that's no, it's kind of inter- interesting thought. Anything else stand out to anybody? Or? And for me personally, it's kind of just, it's like just sitting there and thinking about how did that sequence of event happen, you know? Um, whatever it was, it obviously made a huge impact on them, on that. Like they say, when you get to heaven, I have to watch the video. Watch the video on that one. Um, there's some replays on that one. <laughs> like, moment, right for his mouth open. <laughs> kind of thing. The look on his face. I mean, it's, it's it's really interesting to think about on that. But but another thing, yeah, kind kind of stood out to me. Yeah, it's just kind of that idea of just what you what you were just were saying, Pastor, of like the idea of just the analogy of human efforts to 
appease and make right with God, that they're pointless, whatever it is. And it's God's mercy doesn't come on our terms. It's only by his way. He doesn't negotiate his grace. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for the lesson tonight. Thank you for um, just the lesson think of, of Jonah in this situation. Again, just, of course, what we do doesn't just affect us. It affects others. Um, but even with that, with Jonah and his bad decision, you still use that to work in other people's life, that you can still use our mess-ups and... Of course, you know all of it ahead of time, which is just so just kind of mind-boggling to think about. That, um, like, you know what would happen if we obey and if we don't obey, and it's already all planned out with it. Um, just kind of how much bigger you are than us, and to know everything and to see everything before it even happens. And just trying to think about that, and just. All of things like that in human history is just, again, mind-blowing that, that you know it all at once. And that you know, man's best efforts are fruitless and pointless, and it's only on your terms know that reconciliation can be made. And um, think of this world around us. Know there's so much religion and works that people try, and, um, but it's only through grace, by grace through faith. Help us to proclaim that to this world around us. And thank you for, for Jonah and just the lessons and everything that's in here. And as we continue our study for a few more weeks, to be able just to continue to uh, learn that the lessons here on, on obedience and obeying and doing what you called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.